live from the Panthers and Jets joint practice, camp confidential, and a brand new depth chart. Let's talk about all of it. Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Panthers podcast. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I am your host, Wes Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me again today with all the new sports analysis, tips, tricks, all the things in regards to the Carolina Panthers and everything that they represent. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. Today I'm going to be talking about the Panthers versus the Jets at joint practice number one and as of recently finding out the only joint practice that they will have this season as today's joint practice has been canceled due to weather conditions. I'll also talk about the newly released depth chart and what it means for the Panthers in general. And I will also speak about all the things in regards to Camp Confidential. So much to talk about today. I'm just going to jump right into it, starting out with the Jets versus Panthers joint practice. So I was able to check it out. Uh, it was super busy. I think they said they sold over 10,000 tickets. I don't know how many people were there. It felt like a little bit less than 10,000, but I'm always really bad at estimating crowd numbers. I'm always like, oh, this feels like 100 people, and they announce it, and they're like, 22,476 in attendance. But in stadiums, they also kind of count season ticket holders, too, whether they're there or not. Um, so, I mean, for better or for worse, I also have it on good authority from a former athletic trainer at a university that they used to, f I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to fudge numbers basically to convince the conference that they had more attendance than they did. This was before the time of everything being on TV. And uh, he said that they would just tell them a fake number and just look around and say, all right, looks about like 12,000 when it could have been probably like 6,000. So I don't, I've, ever since that moment, I haven't trusted everyone's numbers, especially when they're over the stadium capacity. That never made sense to me. I mean, I know there's like lawn seats and standing room only and all those different things, but I'm like, don't you know the capacity of your own stadium? And if you're over capacity, isn't that like illegal or against fire code? Whatever. But I was able to make it out there front row right next to the players and it started off with some drills and Sam Franklin was talking a lot of trash to Jets fans that were in the front side. Um, there was a lot of reports that there was like a ton of Jet fans or that there was also a ton of Dolphins fans. Uh, personally, I saw a good mix. I would say it was like 70-30, like mostly Panthers fans, but quite a few Jets fans and then also just fans from other teams. I saw Steelers jersey. I saw Commanders shirt. I saw a Seattle Mariners hat and shirt. So it was all over the place. And as soon as you get in, everyone ran to get autographs. And um, I, yeah, I, the thing about it is you kind of have to pick, do you want to be able to watch practice or do you want autographs? And I chose to watch practice because, you know, I'm an adult. I'll let the kids get the autographs, even though I would love to get a black autographed Bryce Young helmet. I don't buy this like you have to let the kids get everything and let them be in the front and let them do everything. You shouldn't like dominate a kid, like moss them. I saw a lady moss a guy sitting down for a t-shirt. It was like an old guy. And I was like, I'm not doing that, but I'm not going to move for a kid to be able to get an autograph. They can wait their turn. I've waited this long 
I'm 29 years old. I've waited 29 years. They can wait 29 years too. Nobody moved out of my way when I was a kid. Doesn't make it right. But that's just the way that it is in my mind. Or like giving home run balls or foul balls to kids. You can or you can't. I'm not going to fault you either way. I see the argument both ways. But for a kid to think that they have, they just are supposed to have it. No, I don't buy that. It's totally your choice. And you shouldn't feel bad either way. And if it's a home run ball from another team, I'm a big supporter of throwing it back. I just think that that's fun. But I digress. Anyway, Sam Franklin was talking a lot of trash to Jets fans. And uh, Tante Jackson was basically saying that they weren't here for all that. They were right next to us, so I could hear everything that they were saying. J.C. Horn is a big MFR. Oh, my God. He looks like a linebacker. You remember how Cam used to look when he was standing next to linebackers? And you're like, if he didn't play quarterback, he could probably play linebacker. I think J.C. Horn in the modern NFL could potentially play like an edge role or an outside linebacker role because he is a beast. Um, I also got to see up close a lot of the Jets players as well. They were doing team drills in front of us with the linemen. And um, yeah, the Jets defensive line is legit. Uh, Quinnen Williams, I don't know who else is on the line. I just kept seeing Quinnen Williams get in the backfield. And our interior offensive line is suspect at the moment. I thought we were good. I thought Cade Mays would be okay. But after yesterday, whew, man, I don't know if it's just because, I mean, Quentin Williams is probably top three at his position. And then you have pretty much everyone else on the Jets defense who is very good. And I'm forgetting all of their names at the moment. But they have a stout defense, but that defensive line, they and they have a lot of depth too. It was like one guy after another was putting Bryce on the run, making him step up in the pocket. Rarely ever did Bryce have a good, clean pocket to throw through. And when he did, he connected. And uh, I think he was 14 for 22 on the day is what I saw. And honestly, it could have been a lot better if he had protection. But, I mean, I'm telling you, that pocket was collapsing Seemed like on every play he was running for his life. It was giving me Cam Newton flashbacks. Um, so I don't know if we're quite there yet on the offensive line. And we are missing missing Austin Corbett quite a bit at this point. Hopefully he will be back sooner rather than later. Because we need all the help we can get on the interior offensive line at this point. But yeah, and our defensive line dominated them too. Brian Burns had a couple of sacks. Um, it looked like we were just taking their lunch for the most part, um, haters will say, I saw this a lot, and I, I'm i halfway there with you, but I'm not all the way there with you. They were saying, oh yeah, but Brees Hall wasn't playing, and Garrett Wilson wasn't playing. He's their best receiver. Sure, but it's not like the receivers they had out there were really getting open. There was one busted coverage, I think, the whole practice, and during 11-on-11s, they went four and out. We dominated them. Then we got a pick. We dominated them again. So, would have Garrett Wilson have made a difference? I'm not sure. Uh, who knows? Maybe J.C. Horn would have locked him down. I think J.C. Horn is a very good cornerback, so I don't know that it would have made a difference. And Dante Jackson is another very good cornerback who I have given a lot of flack to, but he is good. And... Also, Brees Hall, we've spent this whole offseason saying that running backs don't really matter that much. So, with the addition of Brees Hall, I, I don't know if you're going to get much out of that. Especially with the way our defensive line was dominating them. The attack really started up front with Derek Brown and Brian Burns. 
they were dominating. I really didn't hear much out of Derek Brown. I didn't even see him, to be completely honest with you. So I don't know what was going on with him. But, I mean, in the 11-on-11s, he was dominating. I didn't see him in team drills or anything like that. The number one defense was on the other field. And the number one offense was on our side of the ball, along with our number one defense. And um, basically, we're sorry, their number one defense. So the ones were playing on our side against each other. And the ones are playing on the other side, the Jets offense ones, our offense ones. Either way, you get what I'm saying. Aaron Rodgers on the other side, Bryce Young on this side. And yeah, it was a good battle most of the time. There were a few plays here or there. The Panthers really aren't throwing it down the field much. I don't know if that is a scheme thing or if they're working on packages or what is going on. But it never felt like we were really going deep. I think we tried to go deep once I think it was Andy Dalton and I was front row for that one because it was the play happened right in front of me and it was going to be a little bit out of bounds either way um, it was a tough catch he I don't know if you would even quantify it as a drop because it was out of bounds regardless so either way I don't think that it's something that is against the receiver or the quarterback it was a good play only his guy could have caught it I mean he didn't so that is the way it goes sometimes. I also was front row for Bryce Young's interception. It seemed like everything that was kind of on social media happened right in front of me. It just so happened to work out that way because I was on the 40-yard line and the interception was around the 45. And basically what happened is Chark was, he threw the ball to Chark and they Frank Reich mentioned the guy might have been there early. He wasn't sure he had to go watch film. He wasn't. It just bounced off Chark's hands, honestly. I don't know if he wasn't ready for it or what, but it kind of bounced off his shoulder pad or his his hands, and then he kind of tipped it up, and then the Jets player kind of tipped it up, and then the Jets player finally grabbed it. It's one of those things where, you know, in a game, I don't know that Chark would have let that happen. I think he would have batted the ball down rather than try to grab it, but in practice, he's just trying to make a play. But in reality, I don't think that would have been picked off in real life because Chark could have easily just swatted it down and just gotten rid of it. Because at that point, you know you're not going to make a play that's going to be positive. It's either going to be an interception or an incompletion or a gain of one yard. Like, it's not worth the risk. So I think maybe in a regular game, he's he's just going to swat that ball down. It's not going to be a problem. Um, and when we got out there for 11-on-11s, basically they were doing this thing where they run a play and then they, regardless of what you do they move it to second down and then third down and then they were basically moving the ball up every five yard five yards like every three downs regardless of what happened so we got to see Bryce Young a good bit but they were subbing at Andy Dalton a good bit too so I know they said that Matt Corral will get most of the preseason work but in my eyes Andy Dalton and Bryce Young were splitting the snaps Bryce was getting like 50 percent Andy Dalton was getting like 30 to 40 percent and then Matt Corral was getting like 10%, and then Lutton or Luton, however you pronounce it. I didn't really see much of him. <clears throat> we didn't get to the threes that much. It was mostly ones and twos. Um, but I also saw some stuff of people saying we ran all over them. <laughs> uh, that was That's not true. I don't know what to tell you on that one. It's just not. Um, there. So maybe what the misconception is is that Panthers running backs and I assume this is the way running backs are coached all over the league since Deuce Staley has been around the block Frank Reich has been around the block we have coaches obviously from all all different teams and conferences and divisions 
they basically, even if they're stopped, even if the whistles are blowing, the running backs just keep running and they run it out basically like 30 to 40 yards regardless of whether or not they were stopped. Even if they get tackled and were put to the ground, there was a couple of guys who went to the ground. Miles Sanders had like a little like sweep to the right where he was running out and he fell down. You know, it happens. But either way, we weren't running all over them. We had some good runs. We had some solid runs. Uh, the pass rush was insanity. So we had to run the ball a few times. The I think the jury is still out on the run game. But I'm not worried about the run game. Because Frank Reich's offenses always have a good run game. If there's two things to know about Frank Reich's offense, it's that the running back is going to be involved in some facet. And two, the tight ends are going to eat. And that's all there is to it. So... Um, there's no doubt in my mind that a run game is going to be fine, uh, but to say that we ran it down their throats, we're running all over them, I think that's just personifying it in a way that is untrue. Um, or, I don't know if personifying is the right word, but basically, I didn't. that's not what I saw. Um, but it was so funny because my friend and I were looking on Twitter because they don't tell you what's happening at practice or What's going on? So into the Garrett Wilson thing, people saying, oh, they were missing Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. We were missing Frankie Louvu and LaVisca Chenault. So those guys are going to be important pieces in our offense and defense at this point as well. And maybe LaVisca is not at the same level as, um, oh my gosh, Garrett Wilson. Uh, Frankie Louvu is our starter. And LaVisca will be a starter as well, I think, by the time the season starts. They also didn't have sauce. He was there. Um, but they said he... Had a little tweak. That's the same reason Luva was out and LaVisca. Pretty much everyone who was out, it was some sort of precautionary measure outside of Brees Hall, who's obviously recovering from his torn ACL. So, yes, the Jets were missing a couple of players. We were missing a couple of players. That's the NFL. I don't know what you want me to say. I can't not evaluate a team because people are missing because that's the way the season's going to go. We're going to be missing some guys every now and then. The other team's going to be missing some guys. You can't not evaluate it. And someone commented to me and said, good observations outside of this next one that I'm about to say. Uh, so whatever gives them the qualifications to tell me that, I'm not sure. But I said, one of my other kind of observations was that we have a potential top five to 10 defense in the NFL this year, I think. And uh, they mentioned that we sucked last year and that, well, we didn't suck, but we were below average. I think we were the stats they mentioned were like 17 and 23 were our rankings. And I said that we're not that far removed from being a top 10 defense in my mind. Um, and they mentioned those. And I'm like, well, 2021, we allowed, in total defense, we were second. And then in yards per play for our defense, we were third. So we're not that far removed from being a very good defense. Now, in 2021, you might want to make the argument. I don't know what the statistics say about this next piece, but they always had a short field, so they had less yards to gain, and that's why we were also like in not in the. I think we were in the middle ten in points allowed. So take that for what you will. Also a short field, uh, but the yards per play is encouraging either way, and we have a lot of that defense back. Uh, we really are missing Hassan Reddick at this point. But hopefully, Justin Houston will be the difference in that. So I think that, all in all, this defense is going to be very good. Maybe it is a little bit of copium, hopium, whatever you want to call it, for me to say top five. 
but I do not think top 10 is out of the question. And whenever I do make my bold predictions in September before the first game, one of them will probably be that we are going to have a top 10 defense in the NFL, barring injuries. If we're able to stay healthy, I really don't see why not and why we wouldn't be able to. Now, when I say barring injuries, I'm talking about major season-ending injuries. I'm not talking about Knicks like J.C. Horn had last year before his broken hand, wrist, whatever it was. I'm talking about like you know season-ending ACL, PCL, <laughs> Achilles, whatever it may be. So if we're able to stay healthy, then I think that we will be a top 10 defense in the NFL. I believe that with my whole heart. Um, but and uh, the Deontay Brown did have a lot of great reps. Uh, Joe Person tweeted about it. Also, sidebar, I got to meet Joe Person. Super nice. Everyone else is calling players names, and I'm over here talking to reporters. <laughs> I'm like, Joe, Joe Person, I'm a huge fan. And uh, he came and talked to me. Super nice guy. So shout out to Joe. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And I wish you the best of luck this year. I read all, all your articles. Once I stop paying for the athletic, that's going to be the thing that I miss most. But I digress. Anyway, um, our offensive line, our interior offensive line suspect, our tackles, they looked pretty good. They did let a couple of rushers free. And again, it is training camp, uh, which training camp is officially over. So that was our last day of training camp. We're officially into the season at this point, or the preseason, if you will. No training camp today since it got canceled with the Jets. And then I think they're off tomorrow. We're doing some sort of light thing. And um, then we got preseason with the Jets on Saturday at 4 o'clock. So it will be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it, having actual real-life football to watch. The practice was a lot of fun. As much crap as I talked about the training camp that I went to that was not a joint practice, I must say this one was above and beyond what I could have expected. They were on our side of the field like 90% of the time. They went to the other side for uh, the special teams. And then other than that, our first offense and their first defense, which is what I wanted to see the most, came over to our side and practiced the whole time pretty much. And we got to see one-on-one battles. We got to see red zone work, seven-on-seven. Anything that you'd want to see, we got to see it. So it was a lot of fun for me. And if you are a football nerd, that is the way to do it. Um, I do wish that the Panthers would kind of organize the entrance to training camp a little bit better. The parking job was a little bit suspect. (laughs) And the security lines were pretty much irrelevant. I don't know if it was just to as a deterrent like the TSA where they don't actually catch anything but they kind of deter people from even trying they were basically just letting everyone walk through with metal detectors the metal detectors were going off every time because they were basically telling people to carry their phone and their keys in their hands above their head and then walk through but hand your chair off to the side out of the bag and you know it is what it is nothing happened it wasn't unsafe I never felt unsafe it was a lot of fun actually But, yeah, the metal detectors aren't really doing much, I don't think. Uh, But it's a family event, so who really needs them? It was hot as heck, though. I got so burnt. I hope that everyone else who was there did not get burnt. But I'd love to hear y'all's observations. Tweet at me at Daily Panthers so we can discuss. Um, I'd love to see what y'all think. Of course, I'm a little biased. Yes, I'm going to throw out a bunch of rational things and then throw out, yeah, maybe a top 10 defense, too. 
we'll see. You know, we'll see. And with a hero of arrow, I'll go more in depth about the potential of our defense on another at another time. But all in all, it was a really fun practice and a really fun event. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, we got to see the press conferences afterwards as well. Aaron Rodgers was a huge fan. Bryce Young is such a nice guy. Brian Burns got to hop into the press conference and talk to him. And <laughs> he was asking him to ask him what it was like to play with Brian Burns. And Bryce Young was refusing to answer. So I uh, I love to see that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun watching watching everything. But let's move on to Camp Confidential. So if you haven't already, get to see Camp Confidential. It's about 23 minutes, 24 minutes. Uh, they've done it the last couple of years. It's really, it's not as good as Blueprint. In my mind, it doesn't really show much outside. If you follow them on social media, you're going to see a lot of that stuff in social media outside of the team meetings, which was definitely the best part where Frank Reich is talking about being O and O, talking about that you need to believe. Um, he has 100 things. And he made the joke of like, I'm keeping it 100. Is that right, Bryce? And Bryce was like, you need to keep it 100 without the R. And Frank Gregg was like, oh, okay. So making an old man joke. But it was really enlightening. He's talking about O&O and how it's important to basically begin each play with that like reset mindset of, you know, 1-0 and is kind of assuming O&O is that you have to earn it. And one of those in the future, O and O is a present mindset. And then you have clips of guys saying O and O at press conferences, getting carted into the field. LaVisca Chenault said O and O. So you just like to hear those that type of buy-in. You know, even if it's not something that is significant to you or to me, to me it is significant. Having guys repeat what the coach is saying in the meetings and picking up what he's putting down and buying into what he is saying. At the end of the day, having that buy-in is one of the most important things in the NFL. And that's what I think we were lacking with the last coaching regime is the lack of buy-in. Because it was a lot of talk and not a lot of action. Uh, But it's a little bit easier for Frank Reich to say things like that. I think if someone like Matt Rule said, oh and oh, we would kind of make fun of it and say like, oh, whatever, yeah, uh, coach speak, college coach speak. But when Frank Reich says it, you know, it comes with, I think, what, like 15 or so years as a backup quarterback in the NFL and 20 or so years as a coach in the NFL and a Super Bowl ring or two and having coached some of the greatest players in the history of the NFL like Peyton Manning, it comes with a a long pedigree. It doesn't just come from nothing. He has a foundation to say these things on. And I think that means a lot. And I think that means that the players are going to buy into what he is saying at this point, which is really cool to see. Um, and we got to see some more of Deuce and, um, uh, oh my God, Jefferson. We got to see our wide receiver coach punching a bunch of guys. I already saw people complaining that the NFL PA is going to get on him for hitting guys and that he got warned or whatever. And he wasn't hitting them. I mean, he was using a boxing glove to try to get the ball out and then, he was using his pads to, well, he was wearing pads, but he also had like a dummy blocker as well. So I don't really see what the problem is, but he also needs to slow down a little bit. He's getting up there in age. Even at 29, I'm like, man, I'm old. And I know that he is an NFL player. He was on the all 90s Patriots team. Um, he had like almost 30 touchdowns, 7,000 yards. 
the dude is, was a legit player. So I'm not knocking him at all. I'm just saying maybe chill out just a little bit and don't punch guys on accident. Um, and yeah, it's our coaching staff. It's they're a lot of fun. Didn't see any of a hero of arrow. He seems more like a low key guy. I think that's great for Frank Reich, who is also a low key guy. And then you have someone like Thomas Brown, who it seemed like he was calling the plays. I don't know if that's true or not, but Thomas Brown, it seemed like he was calling plays in the fan fest, and it seemed like he was calling plays at this joint practice as well. I could be wrong about that, but it seemed like Frank Reich was a little bit all over the place, and he was talking to the Jets players as well, which was really funny after Hayden Hurst kind of got thrown over a pile on one, and then the guy pushed his head down, acting like he dominated him, and then Hayden Hurst, it was a clean block, he pancaked him and (laughs) sent him into the shadow realm, and the guy did not like that, and he came back with a vengeance, and they got into a scuffle, and then Hayden Hurst was taken off the field temporarily. He didn't say off the field, but he kind of set the tone for the offense, and Brian Burns kind of alluded to it in Camp Confidential that we need to set the tone on offense and defense, and we can't just say like, oh, this is how it's going to be today. Okay, we got to set the tone from the beginning, which, of course, is very important in all aspects. And we're still, the jury's still out on Brian Burns' contract. We're probably looking at $30 million a year, to be completely honest with you. TJ Watt has $28 million, so I would imagine that Brian Burns is going to be somewhere around that. And I'm... <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. Oh my goodness, it seems like every time I do a podcast, I sneeze at least once. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it that is, the jury is still out. Um, so let's talk about this depth chart a little bit, too, as well, so... Right now, oh my gosh, it just went away. Why did it do that? Okay, well, so to start out, obviously, all the obvious things. I'm not going to go through every single player, but just some interesting things at this point. So Cade Mays is the starting right guard at this point. DJ Chark is wide receiver. Adam Thielen and Jonathan Mingo as well. Hayden Hurst and Ian Thomas both listed as starting tight ends. So... As I mentioned before, there are 12 starters on offense and 12 starters on defense, too. So take this with a big old grain of salt. Um, I am a little bit confused about Jonathan Mingo over Terrace Marshall. Um, That makes me a little bit nervous, honestly. Like, I love Terrace Marshall. I do. But it worries me that he hasn't clearly defined himself as the number one, at, at least on the first team. He's not on the first team in any package. And there's 12 guys. There's three wide receivers on the first team. And he is not there. And then we've got Ian Thomas and Hayden Hurst uh, starting tight ends. Steven Sullivan is second string with Tommy Trimble. I would say right now, Steven Sullivan is probably behind Tommy Trimble in reality. But at training camp, Steven Sullivan has been making a name for himself. He was all over the field. He's He was dominating. It was like every time there was a pass caught, we're like, who is that? Oh, it's Sullivan again. It's like, I didn't even know his number going into it. But then afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, there he is again. That's him, <laughs> for sure. So I don't know if he has a knack for getting open or if he's a diamond in the rough or what. But he is all over the place. And obviously, all the rest of them are exactly what we expected. Uh, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen are wide receivers starting. And then second string, Terrace Marshall. That's the one that surprised me the most, honestly. Deontay Brown. He might take Cade May's starting spot. He was looking good. He was in his 
reps, I was like, who is that? What number is he? He just dominated that guy. He ate him whole. Cameron Irving is a backup. Tommy Trimble, obviously. Demir Bird is listed as a backup, but as we know, he is hurt. So Shaq Smith, who was on the third string and possibly the chopping block, will probably be back up and probably not released from the team at this point. Shai Smith did look good during training camp, but at this point he's looked good for two training camps and, um, or he's looking, he looked good last training camp at least. And well, yeah, two training camps total this one last year. And I'm like, I need you to show me something in the game. That's what it comes down to. Matt Corral is the third string. Raheem Blackshear is the third string running back after Chuba Hubbard, a little bit of a note there as well. So we'll see what comes of it. And then um, our defensive tackles, we have uh, defensive end. We have Derek Brown listed since we're going to a 3-4. Uh, Marquan McCall as the defensive tackle. Shai Tuttle as another defensive end. Brian Burns is that edge. Um, yeah, nothing too surprising here at this point. Um, this also had 12 guys on it. So a little bit different packages. We have a couple defensive ends, a defensive tackle, couple outside linebackers, a couple linebackers. So we've got basically two of everything, nickel corner, Jeremy Chin. So he is moving to that nickel corner spot, or at least for the moment. So take that for what you will. They've got Yitor Gross Matos listed as a second stringer. Marquise Haynes is a second stringer. CJ Henderson, Keith Taylor. Jamie Robinson is a second stringer, along with Eric Rowe. That'll be a battle to keep an eye out for. Sam Franklin is third string. DJ Johnson is third string. He's not even sniffing the field at this point. He's alongside Kobe Jones. There's basically like seven or eight guys in front of DJ Johnson at this point. He's getting buried at the moment, for better or for worse. And uh, we have EQ Leota as a fifth stringer. I think he might be the only fifth stringer. Oh, Cameron Peoples, also fifth stringer. I hope Cameron Peoples makes it. App State guy. Yeah, the depth chart, take it for what it what it's worth, but it's not worth much at this moment. Um, and I'll try to go more in-depth on that after we get see get a chance to see what's going on in a preseason game and see who plays when and how they look. But, um, yeah, that's everything I had for you today. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you later. Peace.